Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of the Omni Talk Fast Five, sponsored by Fast Sensor and Takeoff. It is August 28, 2020. Whew, a lot of news breaking late in the week in the world of retail. And did you hear the news? Amazon's new grocery store in Woodland Hills, California is now open. If there was ever a time for an uh, OmniTalk, like, breaking right. news kind of thing, this would be a time. That. I know. We, we do that. I think that's it. I think we just heard the OmniTalk breaking news. What would the sound be? Like a mallard? What would you, um, what would you use for that? I don't know I why. I don't I'm know. A mallard? I feel like it needs to be more of like a uh, like reggae explosion horn. Like, woo, 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 Amazon breaking news. Okay. Yeah, right. All right. Emma, did but you But you know that? how I roll. Are you excited? Yeah. I am. You know, you know what else is crazy? It's, it's too bad. All this is literally happening like in the minutes right before we're set to record this. But like the other thing I just read, CNBC is reporting that Walmart is a dark horse candidate. They are going together with SoftBank to try and purchase TikTok. Uh, that has just been coming out. Now, sources also say, according to CNBC, that that's a long shot because they don't have the cloud capabilities that some of the other suitors have, which the government is very keen on, which I, I guess, wait, I, don't get me started there. But yeah, wow, Walmart and TikTok, how does that make you feel? Emma, you're, you're probably the most TikTok affluent person here. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see who actually ends up buying TikTok, but I just have to like laugh at the idea of Walmart acquiring it. Yeah, and what do you think there? Like, I mean, I think they, I actually think it would make a lot of sense. I don't think it's going to happen though. I like Walmart better than I like um, than I like like Microsoft or Oracle. Like, I think that I can see as many synergies there as I can see from any of those. I don't love the Oracle thing at all. What like about that, Amazon? Why is Amazon not coming to the? Oh, they here? they would never get. I think they would probably never get approved under this current political uh, climate. I think they probably are just like, yeah, whatever. We're not even going to try for that I one. Feel like Plus, I we feel got like, enough world domination just right. to manage, you know, in and of itself. We don't need to add one more thing to our plate. I feel like. To get to the level, though, of like, I don't think that that we've gotten desperate enough yet to buy TikTok. I think that if it came down to true desperation, I think Amazon could could throw a shoe in here. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Good old Trump's going to say yes to to to, to that he's, one. But he's but pretty we'll, pretty pretty desperate for a suitor, but not depends, quite to that level yet. Probably depends how he sets the incentives or or what what returns are given in in, in replace of what. But that's a whole nother topic for a different type of show. Uh, we're here to talk about the fast, fast five headlines in the world of retail for the week. Now, we're coming off a couple of awesome weeks. There's some fun topics in here. We'll see where we get with these. Sometimes the weeks where we kind of think, wah, wah, sometimes those end up being some of the coolest weeks we ever have. So we'll see where this one goes. But there's a lot of cool stories this week. We've got stories around Facebook, Nike doing some interesting moves in the world of retail. Zappos actually getting into physical stores uh, for not the first time, but the second time. Best Buy doing some cool things on the fulfillment side, as well as we're going to end with a conversation around Taco Bell and the new architectural design of its stores. But before we get started, first, I want to just give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Our sponsors are, of course, Fast Sensor and Takeoff. Fast Sensor is the first AI-powered platform that provides solutions for social distancing, contact tracing, and operational optimization, all tailored to fit your business. 
With FastSensor, you have the tools necessary to monitor safety, efficiency, and journeys across your organization. Visit FastSensor.com to learn more or listen to the, pay, the podcast we just did with Kalen Welch uh, last week where we talk about everything that FastSensor does in much more detail. And of course, Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. And I imagine this topic especially will be a key part of our discussion coming out of the story with Best Buy this week. All right, Anne, I think you've got the honors. I think you're up first. Do you want to Should start? we start? All right, let's Good. do this. All right, so some news out of Facebook land this week. Uh, Facebook is now doing a dedicated shop section in its app. So uh, very similar to what Instagram uh, launched in, in a pilot a couple weeks ago, uh, Facebook will now have a section that is 100% dedicated to uh, funneling in shops from their various Facebook shops uh, businesses. Also, we have an announcement from Instagram. Um, Instagram has announced that they will, in the next few weeks, also be rolling out Instagram shops uh, to all of their retailers in the U.S. Uh, And in addition to rolling out that shops feature, they will be allowing live shopping in app. Everything purchased in app for both Facebook and Instagram. What are the thoughts here? So big story here, Facebook similar to what they announced with Instagram a few weeks ago, they're basically creating a shop location for those that are using, uh, using their app. Uh, what do you think, Emma? I, I think this is pretty cool. Emma, what do you think? I've been playing around with it a little bit because in the app right now, you can click on the little shop section and you can shop from different brands and stores. And in my opinion, it's really, really similar to the Instagram shop. However, mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram have a different audience of users sometimes. So I definitely think, the live shopping on Instagram and then being able to check out through the Instagram app. That's huge. And I'm Mm -hmm. very excited for that because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. That's cool. That's good to hear you say. I mean, I love it too. I mean, I think it's, you know, Instagram is one thing, but I think Instagram is definitely one thing for a certain type of audience. And then you've got a whole nother demographic here with Facebook. And then you just think about how big both of them are throughout the world too, in terms of where this could go. But I mean, I just love it. And I think all that we've talked about, you know, where are you in the, in the mindset for discovery? And for me personally, I think that's happening almost all the time for me on Facebook. I'm more of a Facebook user than an Instagram user. And so, you know, as I'm in there, you know, I've always been wanting to do this. And so I think the fact that they're making this finally happen is super cool. Kudos to everyone we know at Facebook for bringing this to life because it's awesome. You know, I think so much of the experience has been so much of that peer-to-peer kind of marketplace interaction up until now. To be able to have this now as a as a marketplace where I can consume the brands that I want to consume and have them fed up to me based on the activity I'm doing in my social feed. I think that's really cool. And yeah. are you on the same page with us? Are we oh, three for, sure. for three in this story? I think story? this you is are. like chapter two in the retail transformation that yeah. is 2020. I mean, yeah. first you have, I think the malls kind of taking, changing hands right now. But for me, like this Instagram experience is 
the digital equivalent of walking the mall. I mean, I don't know if you guys have walked a shopping mall in the last couple mm-hmm. of months since they've reopened, but it's pretty bleak. And I, I miss that. I think you hear from a lot of people that they're missing this experience of, of shopping and the discovery that happens when you walk by a store window and you're like, oh, that, that dress is cool or I like those shoes or whatever you're seeing. And now you look at what Facebook and Instagram are going to do for across the board. You guys mentioned it from, you know, Gen Z all the way through to the boomers. Now you are creating this 100% curated, what was the walking of the mall experience? Um, Instead of walking with your friends through the mall, like now what your friends are liking and what you're liking are all going to be fed into these 100% customized shopping experiences for you. Um, And I I think it's going to completely change. We will look back at this time in in five or 10 years and be like, that's when, when everything, everything changed how we shop as a as a world uh totally transforms yeah that's really interesting and i love i like how you describe that too that's something to come back to here is like you know what are some of just the major level trends that we're starting to see as 2020 becomes a watershed real year in retail like i was starting to think you're right i mean you've got the complete kind of almost disillusion of the shopping mall as we discussed last week in terms of what simon and authentic are doing and god knows where that plays out but it's definitely taking a shape that's going to be nothing like it was before. You've got the online discovery marketplaces that are just sprouting up like crazy. And with what you guys just said with Instagram and Facebook being at the fore of that. And then the other thing, like we alluded to in the beginning, man, I'm thinking, and there's probably more. So let's keep the list running here. And if anyone listening has other ideas, please shoot them our way. But I think the other one is the transformation of grocery Mm -hmm. Uh, and the convenience store industry by way of, you know, what you're seeing there. I mean, the fact that Amazon now is opening a grocery store, that's, I got to tell you guys, that's, that's just massive, massive news. And the crazy thing is all that would have happened without the pandemic. I could actually make the argument that all those are mutually exclusive uh, to the pandemic. I don't think it necessarily matters. Maybe it's speeding it up at least number one. Accelerated for sure. Yeah. Maybe number one's accelerated, but the other two really, I don't think they, you know, have, you know, anything to do here or there uh, with that, but I have a, I have a more important question. When are you opening your lumberjack shirt, Facebook shop? Yes. For those, for those watching on, (laughs) uh, on YouTube. Yes. I have another uh, checkered plaid shirt and we got a lot of positive feedback uh, from your lumberjack shirt from not just the shirt, but saying, and so I'll do it a second time. And yes, I am a lumberjack (laughs) and that is okay. It's 2020. We have to appreciate everyone's My favorite quote of last week's podcast. Uh, But let's move on to story number two, Chris. Maybe of all time. All right. I've got story number two. I think this story is cool. I wrote about it in Forbes, but it's reported that Nike is planning to cut back its ties with many of its wholesalers, as many as I believe nine or 10 wholesalers, according to a report from, uh, help me out with the pronunciation on this one, Susquehanna Financial Group. Oh, right. Nike is planning to cut ties with Belk, Dillard's, Zappos, Boscov's, Bob Stores, Fred Meyer, EB Lens, VIM, and City Blue. There's been no no definitive timeline given here, but if you are if you are a student of Nike, like we all have been over the last few years, to me this just seems like a natural progression of what they've already talked about numerous times. And what's your first take here? 
Well, I think one of the most important things you wrote about this in Forbes, but I think one of the most important things and takeaways from this is that Nike is one of the brands that are in that 15%. And what I mean by the 15% is what you outline is, you know, the first first time product search, you know, you're either going to Google or Amazon to find a product. Nike is one of those brands. We, Chris, you and I talked about Lululemon potentially being another one, but they are one of those brands where you are going to Nike for that first time product search in some, in most cases, I would say. Now, can other brands do this? Can they follow suit? I don't know. Um, and I would say, you know, it's not just about the product search online, but also the, the adoption of the Nike app that allows people to really go to Nike as their, one of their first sources for purchasing shoes. So I think this, this shift makes sense. Pulling away and getting more control over my brand makes a lot of sense um, for me. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I, don't, I want to clarify one thing there and then we'll go to Emma too. I want to make sure too. I don't know necessarily that Nike is one of those brands. I think it's a double-edged sword for Nike. Like when you actually know what Nikes you want to buy, mm-hmm. you can actually go into Google or Amazon and find them pretty easily. So Nike actually has that kind of going against it. And so in terms of what Ann's talking about more broadly, right? Remember when people, when consumers know what they want to buy, 85% of the time they're going to Google or Amazon to find that. Now remember that's after I know what I, what they, what I want to buy. Now, discovery, like where are they going again for that discovery search, so to speak? That's, you're right. Nike, Lululemon, they probably gravitate more towards those degree because their brands are strong. But regardless of that, the point I was trying to make in the article is that that Nike needs to grab as much of that back. Nike is such a strong brand that people shouldn't be putting the shoes that they want in and then looking to buy them wherever they can at the best price and in the most convenient way possible. And that to me is fundamentally what this is is about. And not everyone has the clout that Nike has to be able to take the reins back on this. And you're seeing it. They cut back distribution from Amazon. They said they're going to open their own stores, almost 200 stores, smaller versions to get more of their own presence out in the marketplace. You can see them trying to do this. This is just a natural extension. But Emma, what do you think? You said pretty much all of my points. But the one thing I was going to say, which goes along with your clout, is that you know, yeah. Nike has that hype factor, especially with the youngins. And the way that you maintain that hype factor is to really make your products a little bit more exclusive, which with Nike having such a strong brand and then consolidating where they're selling, that's what's ultimately, I think, going to allow them to succeed in that and continue to maintain their hype factor. Uh, Emma, I'm curious what you think on this too. Like Ann and I were talking about this as I was writing the article. I think I think what's interesting is like you're and and maybe this is one of the trends too we were just talking about, which is the flipping of retail on its head and how marketplaces work or quote unquote, how the malls of tomorrow work where, you know, before Nike would use a big wholesale distribution network to get its products put out into everywhere. Well, what if we flip that on its head and we say, well, what if Nike actually becomes the marketplace of credible brands within the athletic apparel space? And it helps facilitate those interactions for people similar to how an Amazon or something else would do that, but it's done through the cachet and the portals and the platforms of Nike. Is that a place you would go? Is that a place you would go to discover products and find new angles into things? Interesting. I mean, I think I would definitely check it out. I think, and I would love to see Nike just keep to their brand and not turn into a big marketplace like that. Maybe if yeah. they got into like reselling their own products and created some kind of platform for that, mm-hmm. but I would definitely check it out. Yeah. And I, and I think when I think about it too, I don't think it necessarily is the marketplace. Like we know, like an eBay or an Amazon where it's like anybody who wants on here can come on here, but more like, Hey, we are selling other things. 
you know, similar to how other retailers have done through a different, like through a partner network in a different way. I think it's an interesting concept. Uh, I'm curious to see where they take it. And what do you think of that though? I mean, or should they just stay to the brand and just only sell their own branded stuff? I mean, I think that Nike as a, the concept of Nike as a broader store and expanding, I mean, you look at the app now and they're, they're heavily, heavily focused on apparel, on footwear, obviously, but what Nike could do, and as they're they're bringing things back, they're not competing now against wholesalers, is really expand what that offering is. I mean, Nike makes products across almost every single yeah, category. Yeah, there's almost nothing they don't so, have. So for them cool. to really start to bring in other brands, I mean, I think about like Nike Golf. Like they have their own clubs. Yeah. They have their own apparel. They have their own mm-hmm. footwear. They have all balls, like all these things they're already doing. So to bring in more um, more brands. I don't know how I feel about that. One thing that, um, I do have in my, I guess my thoughts about this is how Nike looks at the resale market. And Emma, you mentioned that Mm. briefly, but like the footwear resale market is like, it's supposed to be a $6 billion industry by 2025. And so I think as Nike is not only expanding, you know, their first to market, their exclusive product, but as they start to think about goat and, uh, you know, stadium goods, some of these other places that are reselling their product to be able to kind of capture that or to still have Nike be the place where you're going to really increase efforts in that market, I think Mm -hmm. makes it even more appealing. And, and as you start to think about marketplace or other things they're selling, that may be an area where, okay, I start to, to tease the idea of selling, you know, the top selling Adidas Yeezys or something in my same marketplace, resale marketplace, um, because I might also find some other Nike product that I like while I happen to be shopping this goat store. Which is interesting, which might also be why they haven't gone that way, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the the footwear companies, it sounds like, haven't been interested in getting into resale yet. But I think as they start to start to own more of the brand. Uh, yeah, getting to resale maybe for their, yeah, or maybe getting to resale for their own things. I mean, who should understand provenance of those goods better than, you know, the actual manufacturer themselves, but you're right. They're all into the, they're into the drops. Like I get this, I get the notifications for the drops all the time. So yeah, they're, yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Like there's a lot of ways Nike can take this. And that last point, even put it in the article, I think that's meant more to think about where can, where can, what is the possibility here? Cause like Emma did on that take, if you're watching the video, it's like, okay, I haven't thought about that before. And you don't, you're not going to do all this overnight, but it's, it shows you just how things are flipping on its head from what we used to know. All right, Emma, story three. All right. So Zappos, the Amazon-owned online shoe retailer, appears to be launching a brick-and-mortar location in New York City. Sources say that Zappos has leased a three-level, roughly 16,000-square-foot space in Union Square that was previously home to an American Eagle store. I, I was sleeping on Zappos. I checked it out yesterday and prepped for this story. And I mean, they sell everything. They have like hundreds of brands. And I think that this is actually a cool idea. I would, I also, what I really like is that this is such a big space. So Zappos can kind of separate the different kinds of categories that they have. They have everything from designer shoes and clothing all the way down to things that are marked off by like 80%. I think with so much space and so much product that they have, this could actually be a really good move for them. Yeah. And we heard, I mean, another uh, sidebar announcement from this was that their CEO is stepping down after 20 years. Too. And that came so out yesterday, right? That came out yesterday. And so I think there's a lot of, and I, I have to highlight, I mean, most people probably know, but I had forgotten that Amazon owns Zappos also, 
So I feel like there's a lot more going on here in the background um, with this 16,000 square foot store um, in a highly trafficked tourist area um, of Manhattan. I think it, it there's probably a lot more to the story here. But for me, I think it goes back to there's still a value for me in having a footwear store. We talked about it with Payless last week. Like even with Zappos, you know, who have one of the best return and shipping policies out there, um, especially right now, people cannot, not everybody can order the four pairs of shoes and get them in and try them on and then send them back and wait for 10 to 12 days for that money to be credited back to their Mm -hmm. accounts. So I think that having this kind of option, um, reminds me a lot of DSW actually, but having this kind Mm -hmm. of shoe store could do well for them. They've, they have the outlet center already. I think it's a good play. Yeah, I agree. And I'm trying to, maybe one of you guys can look this up as I'm, I'm making this point, but uh, f- yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Like yeah, to see Tony say, leave the, uh, leave the company. I mean, Zappos is one of those pure play e-com retailers that still exists. Like you can count on one hand, the number of successful companies that meet those qualifications that are still around over the last 20 years. There's not very many of them and they are one of them. Uh, and the guy is brilliant. I've heard him speak a couple of times. He's a big picture thinker. His book, I think it's like Delivering Happiness, mm-hmm. is like one of the best books I've ever read. If you have a chance to read that, it's, it's, it's really, really good. But yeah, you have to wonder what's going on here because like they've been around for 20 years. Like they have the outlet store, but they've never done retail. So, and then you start going, your mind starts going crazy of like, well, Amazon's got Go, they've got Go Grocery, they've got the new Amazon Fresh Store in Woodland Hills, California. And you've talked about it so many times about how there's still the need for a footwear store. Payless is getting back into that game. I have, I a hundred percent agree. Like what if Amazon's going to put some different technology in here mm-hmm. to change the way we shop? I mean, I think the funny thing that no one's tried is you have a sample run of every shoe. You come in and you try it on and you have it delivered similar to like what a Bonobos model is. That seems so much smarter in footwear instead of having to manage all the sizes of inventory in a location it's a dang nightmare. And also it's a pain in the ass from a customer experience perspective because you got to wait for somebody to get the shoe and then the boxes are all everywhere. And like, it's just, it's a mess. So from an inventory accounting perspective, a shopping experience perspective, that actually works. And I ask you guys, like how often do you have a shoe emergency, right? Like how often do you need to walk out with the shoe that day? It's pretty damn small in my opinion. Like you can probably go a day or two without your shoe and Amazon, given what they can do, they can probably deliver it in a day or two days or an hour. <laughs> your prime member, right? Right. Right. Depending on what they're using that 16,000 square feet for, like that yeah. could be the, the nano hub in the middle of Manhattan to get you that shoe in an hour, just not having to deal with it uh, right out a, front. Yeah. That's a great point. I was going to say New York's a weird place for this if, because of all the tourist traffic, but you're right. If that's actually the play, that would be an even brilliant, more brilliant aspect to this. Yeah. Really smart. Awesome. Speaking All of right. hubs. Next. Chris. Tell I us, got the next one. Tell okay, us what Best Buy is doing. Over to my notes. Here we go. Best Buy. This is cool. Best Buy has said that based on everything it's been seeing with the pandemic, that it will start testing a new ship from store hub model. They're going to take about 250 stores out of their approximately 1,000 stores and dedicate them specifically to handle a higher volume of packages and then ship all their, their online orders through those stores for those geographies or a good proportion of their orders for those geographies. This is awesome. I, I 
think this is just such a super smart move. It's a testament to the brilliant experiment that Best Buy ran that no one else did, which is shut our stores down and see which ones we really need. And then the ones we don't, we'll keep them open possibly, but then we'll change them into shipping centers and we'll get the benefits of scale from doing that. And they are probably one of the few companies that really understands that. Right. I totally agree. They, this was so smart. This was an exact perfect example of quick, rapid prototyping. We need to shut down our stores. We're going to start fulfilling orders. We have a ton of online orders that are coming in right now, especially right when the pandemic hit. You know, sources inside Best Buy have shared that like they just quickly converted all the people that were working in the store. You were like running the Samsung display. Now you're filling online orders. They were able to just figure out how to get their whole teams, even like the people coming into the geek squad people, you know, coming into the houses and they were able to shift all these people to essentially becoming online, you know, buy online, pick up and store order fulfillment centers in a matter of, of days and weeks. And so I think this is really smart. We're seeing how they're changing for the footprint of their store. You don't need the giant, you know, 500 display TV like air section anymore. It's really focusing on serving the customers, chasing where the revenue is coming from and being that place where I can get that thing today. I'm not waiting for Amazon to ship it to me in, in two days. I can go in an hour, pick it up. It's ready to go. I have support staff there that can help me if I have questions as I'm picking it up. Super smart. Way to go, Best Buy. Emma, anything to add on this one? No, I mean, I think it's a great idea. And I'm the type of person that wants to look at the specs of a product online and then show up, take it up, not get out of my car, leave that day. I don't want to wait for it. So I think that this is an awesome move on their part. Yeah, I think it's an awesome move too. I, I think there's other cool off, uh, you know, offshoots to this too. And I know we've got a lot of Best Buy listeners to the podcast, but like if I was Best Buy, here are the things I would be looking at. And I imagine they are at least the first one. You're going to look at how you do automation, right? Uh, in this. And the category of electronics in general is made for that. You know, everything is, you know, for the most part, standard packaging sizes, they come in boxes, much more easy to do in that side of the business than say like groceries. So I imagine that hopefully is part of the equation and part of the remodeling and re-architecturing of these stores. The other thing I would start to look at too, if I was Best Buy then is also, you know, you've talked about resale, but resale and refurbishment, like how much of, is that a part of, of this story and the capabilities uh, not only that you're setting up outgoing hubs, but where are the returns coming back and how is the refurbishment being done? And how can that be a much bigger part of the business for Best Buy than what it is now uh, when it is a big business for many other retailers? So that is something I would be cognizant, that I would be cognizant of as I continue this type of experimentation to think to see where can I also get just new opportunities for business model growth in the long run. All right, Anne, you want to finish this up? I do. I have a story for you guys about Taco Bell. Taco Bell, all right. And, and before I get into it, Yo when was last time you, either of you ran for the border? To Taco Bell? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> it's been, a, my, I have not gone there, but uh, Grandma Ami Talk loves Taco Bell. Like, no if there way. wasn't a pandemic, she'd be there. She's there once a week. Yeah, I swear to God. Oh my gosh. Grandma Ami Talk she- loves, loves the drive throughs. Like yeah. during, and I imagine she's not like the 3 a.m. customer. She's like 3 p.m. No, I don't know what she eats there. Like if it's a chalupa or like, okay. you know what, or if they even have that anymore. But, but no, yeah, she's a big fan. Emma, do you, do you guys free? Is that, is Taco Bell big in the college scene? Yes, but I only 
I only go there when I'm on the road, which I did a lot of this summer, but like the cheese quesadilla is the best I've been driving for 22 hours food that you can have. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge in high school. I mean, that was the go-to, the 39 cents, the Mexican pizza, like that's good stuff. The Some of, cheese burrito with onions. Yeah. That I didn't know if they were onions, like that's good stuff. Some of my most embarrassing moments of my life have involved Taco Bell and that will save for another podcast, but do a whole I'm, feature on that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if you know anyone in my family, they will immediately share those stories and I will never show my face again. Um, okay. Anyway, so Taco Bell has announced that they are debuting a mobile restaurant concept next year in 2021 to put a focus on drive through and curbside pickup. So customers can order Taco Bell ahead of time through their app, and each location will now have two drive-through lanes. Um, the The app will ping once you get into the parking lot and notify the Taco Bell people that you're ready, and then it will tell you as a customer where you should go, what the most expedient route would be for you to get your hands on that chalupa. Guys, I don't know about this, um, but I'm... I, I have had some more, I will say I've had more fast food experiences this summer, uh, drive-through experiences than I probably have ever, um, in my lifetime. And that's because of, of kids and, you know, just easy access to food. One of them is Dairy Queen. So Dairy Queen has a mobile ordering feature, which sounds very similar to what Taco Bell is planning to implement here. And I don't know if you guys have been to a Dairy Queen recently, but no matter what time of day you go, Taco Bell's reporting the same things. The drive-through lines are like on obscene. I mean, like we're talking blocking traffic on mainline roads. Uh, and so I started ordering through the Dairy Queen mobile app because I thought this was great. Like, why do I want to wait in that line for a whole long period of time? I'll just open, like put in my mobile order. You have a drive-through spot and they bring it out to your car. Now I've tested this a few times. Unfortunately, it would be about the same time if I just waited in that long drive-through line. You just so went I'm through the drive-through. If you just went through the drive-through line, even though mobile order pickup, everything's there and taken care of. I'm curious if you guys think because I I really do think that this is just creating more chaos. Why can't we just make a faster drive-through or go to a true drive-through lane or figure out other operational efficiencies inside the Taco Bell? And just have people go like, what, what are we, what are we doing here? What is Taco Bell doing here to make this a truly better experience? Yeah, it's a complicated question. I mean, I think it's a complicated question. I mean, I think fundamentally, I think the issue here is you've got different cycle times on the productions of the orders and when they're placed and when they're picked up, right? The beauty of the drive-thru is you're all ordering at the same time. It's then being made and you can figure that out. The you know, the order ahead process throws a wrench in that, right? Because you don't know and when you're going to show up to pick that up. So that, that's why I'm not, I mean, I'm not fully convinced to the points that you're making that a drive-through lane is the better way to do this. I, I, I think if you need another drive-through lane, make another drive-through lane. And if you want to allow people to pick up orders there, that's great. Because in theory, the, the production of the food shouldn't take longer if you pull up and you say, hey, I'm here. If they're just starting it or if it's already made, then you should be able to speed through that pretty quickly. Right. But you're still then creating this like lined process for order pickup, which by default doesn't have to be a lined process. Like that's almost better served of, hey, I'm here, bring it out to me. It's not more of a line. I can go to like Chick-fil-A. I can go to the counter and if it's there, it's ready. Like I just pick it up, right? Or Starbucks, you just pick it up. The line takes that away, which to me is less efficient. So I would think about architectures 
architectural designs that go more towards the principles of counter pickup or like designated spaces for pickup where people can sit and wait in them. And God, if you have that much demand, build another freaking store is what I got to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how else you solve that. Like, right. That, that's just the way it is. Like if there's too many cars for the parking lot, your stores aren't big enough and your parking lots aren't big enough. What are you going to do? But yeah. Emma, what do you think? I really like the, whenever I order coffee, I always do like the pickup where I just go into the store, but I do think they have something going for them with, if they had specific spots in their parking lot and they could track when you get there and then they just walk it out once they like geo know that your car is there. Similar to what, one of the things I love about Target's curbside pickup is that it knows when I arrive in the parking lot, it waits like two minutes and then someone comes out and puts the groceries in your car. I think that that could really be something that a lot of people would like because then you don't have to risk yourself going into the store to pick up your order. You don't have to worry about anyone taking it by accident. Like they just know you're there. They put it in your car and you're on your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the important thing to note though, is like mm -hmm. what, what the timing is of this mm -hmm. too, because like cost. with the Dairy Queen example, exactly the Dairy Queen example, they don't fire your food until you pull in the parking lot. So it's not like your food is sitting there waiting. I mean, now they're working with cold products, but even still in the case of Taco Bell, like I'm, I'm curious what the quality control issues will be if you know, you're, if they they are waiting to give you the order until you pull into the parking lot and then how long are you waiting? You're still going into the queue of the other drive-through people at that point in time versus like if they do fire the order when you say you're going to be coming or if you text them and say, I'm on my way at least, like how long is that product going to be sitting there and is it still going to be good? I mean, I guess it's Taco Bell. Maybe, well, maybe I, it doesn't uh, matter what temperature, but. Yeah, regardless of that. But I mean, I think you can time that with when you know people are showing up, right? So that you've got that like pretty, at least ironed out. But yeah, I, the drive through link to me still feels like it almost like the pictures of like those airplanes when they're all stuck on the tarmac together, like you're just getting into this crazy world. But Emma, I think you're hitting on something really fascinating to me, which is what is the psychological element here too? Because you're right, even though I've, I never thought about this before, but even though I live in Minneapolis and it's like below 30 degrees, you know, every winter, I will elect to go into that Starbucks store under normal conditions versus wait in that drive-thru for the exact reason you say. And, and to your point, it's faster, it's quicker. So I think what are the answers that are like that, right? Like we've talked about lockers before. Like as you guys were talking, the thing I'm thinking about is like, why aren't there just lockers hooked up adjoined to the side of a Taco Bell? And once the order's ready, it's placed, or once we know you're there, it's placed there. So you're not having a runner come out you know, and I can easily pull in next to that, park my car, get out, flash my barcode on my phone and it opens up for me and there it goes. I'm ready. I'm done. Boom. Easy. Like that seems like a really efficient way to get a lot of orders put into queue and put into a staging area pretty fast. Maybe I'm missing something, but I no. feel like there's better ways. Um, Lots of architectural things at play here. I don't know that I want lockers when I have two drive-throughs operating and people. <laughs> well, it depends where they are. Well, I'm not saying totally, maybe you don't have a second drive-through though. Right. Totally depends. Yeah. I think it, the, the moral of the story here, Taco Bell is like, how are you going to learn what architectural gestures need to be made uh, beyond just shrinking your store footprint to really make this a, a, the most optimal situation for your customers and your employees? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The second drive through is just, I don't think it's the way I would go. At least not right now. All right. Well, that closes us up. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Emma, any big plans this weekend? I got nothing. I got nothing going on. Basically zero. That's a big fat, big fat dookie for me. What about you two? <laughs> Emma, what are you doing? Going back to class, obedience school with my dog. So. <laughs> Ace? Uh, yep. Nice. 
So your weekend's um, coming up aces. I like that. How about you, Ed? Great. Um, my husband's doing the Mazinga Sportacular this weekend, which has now been condensed from four uh, male activities, exercise, we'll use the term exercise loosely, activities into just one golfing thing. So they are just driving and golfing for the whole day. So I'll be watching my so children. So it's contact-free, no more basketball this year, huh? No, no basketball, no bags, no uh, volleyball, you know, probably well, better. They're all well, aging. The, the, I think that the, the potential for injuries there is getting higher too. So this pandemic might be bringing a new, a new sportacular extravaganza. For yeah. Them. I was wondering that when that would get, was going to happen. So yeah, uh, less, less wear and tear on the knees and less swapping. Yeah. Of sweat. Those are probably good strategies right now for sure. Given everything that's going on. All right. Well, Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, like we thought a lot of fun stories, a lot of good and healthy debate here. Hopefully you find the debate debate useful. Like we said, it's not really whether we have the answers right or wrong. It's the conversation that matters most. And that's what we love about our show. So thanks for sticking with us. As I said before, remember to please like, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you happen to listen to our podcast. Or of course, if you like our videos, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. And to all of you, until we speak again next week, be careful out there.